Names and Titles Part 2. The following names and titles provide insight into the person and work of Christ related to his humanity, but they also point to his deity. First, I want to look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis 3.15. <clears throat> Remember the context of this? The, uh, we got the story of Adam and Eve, the fall, and God comes in, and now he's in the midst of pronouncing the curse that is a res- response to the fall. In verse 15, matter of fact, I'll back up to verse 14 just to set the immediate context here. Because it's... It, <clears throat> And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and all the, every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, and that's friction, conflict, okay, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, seed being offspring. He will bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And it just kept going, and he went right on down the line. Now, the seed, or the offspring of the woman, is an obvious reference to Christ himself. Okay? For example, um, in uh, Isaiah 9, 6, I've got him right there in our handout to save some time. For unto us will be... for. For unto us a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Isaiah 9, 6. And then Galatians 4, 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And then we know also that seed of the woman, we talked about this last time, was the, that's, is Isaiah 7, 14. A virgin will conceive, and that's going to be the sign of the Messiah. So we've... We've already talked about that one. So there it is. That's the very first reference to, uh, the first obvious reference to Christ in the Bible is right here. Although we know from other passages that's not his, the first occurrence of Christ. The first occurrence of Christ is in Genesis 1.1. <laughs> Actual occurrence. We know that from John 1.1 and other places. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know from John 1.1 1, 1, um, that Jesus created, and, and it goes on to say there was nothing that is was not created by him. All right? You can read that in John 1.1 1, 1 through 3. Now, the next, next term we're, we're going to look at is the term Shiloh, Genesis 49.10. Very interesting. This is one that I want to come back to one day and just do something on it because I... Uh, this is one of those when you're, I don't know, if you study, a lot of times you'll see something that'll really catch your attention. I call just, and you just kind of run down that rabbit trail and chase it, and then it'll lead you to another rabbit trail, and you'll chase it that way. <laughs> you just, just run around and chase it. Extremely, it, yeah, it uses up some time, but it's very interesting until you come to the point that says, I'm not getting much of my lesson done here. But it was still very interesting and educational, and like I say, one day I want to come back to this where you just spend time on, on this and uh, or I can maybe 
bring in my little rabbit trails and make something out of it. <laughs> something useful and edifying to all of you. Okay, Shiloh, which means one to whom it belongs or he whose it is. <laughs> it's a possessive term, a term of possession. Um, in Genesis 49.10. Now, for the sake of context, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. Now, here where we are is um, <clears throat> Jacob is giving blessings and prophesying, actually prophesying about the 12 sons, the 12 tribes, okay? And so verse 8, now he, in, the, in the line he comes to Judah, and he goes, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion who dares, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? In other words, you don't want to mess with Judah in this context here. Right there was another rabbit trail, which if you want to do that, I'll give you the, I'll give you the map to the rabbit trail. This one took me, the lion who dares not rouse him up. Zechariah 12, 4 through 9. That's a, there's where my rabbit trail took me. Okay, anyway, verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Okay, now the Shiloh, I've already defined it. Now, in every other passage that I looked at, Shiloh was a place. Here it's a person. Now, Shiloh was the place Joshua set up the tabernacle. That's Joshua 18.1. We're not going to turn there. And then Shiloh continued as the center of worship during the period of the judges and up to the time when the Philistines captured the ark. And that's in 1 Samuel 4. And then it moved around. And then finally one day the ark was actually taken up to Jerusalem. But that wasn't until, what, the time of David? Because Jerusalem was not part of the uh, country yet until David took it. They, remember, when Joshua went in the land, they didn't take it all. Succeed, he said, no, and he said to the tribes, you do this, you do that, da -da 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 -da, and he gave instructions to all the different tribes to go and conquer the lands around them. Well, it didn't get done. And it's interesting, <clears throat> and I want to address this probably soon especially in light of what's going on in Israel. Um, Modern-day Gaza Strip was part of the land of the Philistines, a group of people that Israel failed to deal with. Just a note of interest. Now, Shiloh in Genesis 4.10 is, again, a reference to the coming Messiah. Let's look at verse 9. Again, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dare rouse him up? Now, you compare that with Revelation 5.5. 5. Matter of fact, I, I referenced it as the next one, but I, I want to I look at that because it makes, it makes a better, better sense of Revelation 5.5. 5. Again, the scene here is <clears throat> John is... In a vision, anyway, taken to heaven, the uh, 
the books need to be opened to get this the whole thing started here and John was he wept like who can open it because without opening it this the kingdom can't happen it just it just it has to happen this verse 5 and one of the elders said to me that would be John stop weeping behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals the lion of the tribe of Judah again and that is the lion's whelp, you, you follow it through, the lion of the tribe of Judah, because who Jesus is from, the tribe of Judah. He's from that line, so as is David, the line of Judah. You just follow it through. You can read the uh, um, <clears throat> lineages in uh, Matthew and Luke. Now, the next one I want to, I'm going to back up, back up to Deuteronomy and then come through the just trying to work our way up. I tried to keep it as much as I could going in, in order from books, Genesis forward. Didn't always work out that way. The next, another Turk title for him is the prophet. That's another messianic title. And that, that term comes from Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 is one of those often overlooked books that uh, when that happens, you miss a lot. That's all I can say. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, and this is Moses speaking, like me, from among you, from your countrymen, and, shall listen, and you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. Again, now here's the Lord speaking. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, like you, like you, Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. In other words, if it's required of you, you're going to pay the price. You do not listen to the prophet. When the prophet comes, you will pay the price. Guess who the prophet is? John chapter 7. It's Jesus. John chapter 7, verse 40. <laughs> well, I'm glad I never am. That's good. That's all I can say. <laughs> John chapter 7 verse 40 some of the multitude therefore when they heard these words the words of Jesus obviously were saying this certainly is the prophet see that was a known messianic term he is the prophet others are saying this is the Christ another title another name Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? <clears throat> he go, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Yeah, it did say all that. But the point here is it, the term prophet, the prophet, not a prophet, but the prophet, very specific, like the prophet. Okay, 
it's kind of like, um, uh, are we doing this one today? No, it's like, the, I think it must have been last time, where we go like, the angel of the Lord is a title for Christ. Not an angel, the angel, like a specific one, okay? The prophet. Another one we get from the Old Testament is Job 19, 25 through 27, where the Messiah is referred to as Redeemer. Now, some say Job was the oldest written book. I don't know. Nobody really knows. It does go back uh, a ways. Uh, some think actually Moses wrote this, but nobody really knows. So I don't know why people get so dogmatic about it. But anyway, Job 19, 25 through 27, Job says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Interesting. Way back then, Job knew he had a Redeemer, which means Job knew he was in need of redemption, doesn't it? That's, that's pretty clear. One and one is two, even back then. And at, the, at, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Interesting. He will take his stand on the earth. Even after... My skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. My skin is destroyed, my flesh will see God. Verse 27, for whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. My heart faints within me. I mean, it's, just, it's so magnificent a thought. My heart faints within me, he says. But right there, Job is expressing his belief in that even though my skin is destroyed, one day I will be resurrected. I will see my Redeemer. I will see for my Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he's basically saying, therefore, so shall I. That's the message Job is giving us from that passage. That's a pretty heavy-duty passage. We figure out ancient. Job, you, there's internal evidence that Job lived somewhere around the time that Abraham lived, a little before, perhaps, a little after, somewhere in that neighborhood because of there's different names of places and things that are there at that time that aren't way before, you know. So it, um, and then <clears throat> some things like ages and so forth kind of pinpoints it in there. One we've already mentioned, and we'll go to Psalm 2 to get us started, is the term Messiah and the term Christ. We've talked about this one a whole bunch. Uh, so there's probably, most of you in here could probably tell everybody what that means. Any, if anybody feels so bold. But anyway, <clears throat> it's, it's never easy if somebody says, you tell me, I'll put you on the spot. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Psalm 2. Psalm 2. One of those, one of those messianic psalms. And the word Messiah and Christ, Messiah is a, Messiah and Christ are both what they call transliterations. Remember what a transliteration is? You take a word like, we'll take the Hebrew word, Mashiach. That is just transliterated to Messiah, not translated. You translate it, it means anointed. Okay, Christ is a transliteration out of the Greek, Christos, Christ, transliteration, not a translation, 
right? And it means anointed or the anointed. Okay? So that's mean. There's another one. You know, we, there's, there's, a, there's several words in, in, in our English translations that are transliterations, not translations. A, a kind of baptism is one of those. Baptizo. Baptism. Baptize. You know. So, you know, there, there's a bunch of, there's a lot of them like that. So, uh, that the word is there. And so, to understand what a lot of these words mean, you have to translate them. And so, it means anointed. And Psalm 2 2, we'll start there. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord's, against the Lord and his anointed. Mashiach. Translated out there, okay, and his Messiah. You're going to put Messiah there, all right? And then let's move forward now to, again, the Gospel of John. You're talking about Christ, terms, deity, and so forth. You know, John comes up, the Gospel of John comes up a lot because John in his Gospel majors on that theme of Christ being God. I mean, it opens up that way. In the beginning was the Word. You know, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And then verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's just continually over and over and over pointing to the deity of Christ. Jesus is, in fact, God. John 1.41, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, uh, this is Andrew, talking about Andrew when Jesus was his first disciples, we have found the Messiah, in parentheses, which translated means Christ. Okay? Um, and then, if you compare that with Matthew, well, we're in John, let's look at John 4, we're, we're, we're there, let's try to say, well, John four twenty five. these pages are, don't turn as well as they used to, John 4.25. Here's, this is the woman, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And when you're this close, you've got to go to the next verse. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. And in parentheses, he. In italics, I should say, he. Okay, I am. She says, I am the Messiah. And then she believed. And um, <clears throat> another term, uh, again, I want to look at um, eventually, but let's look at it now because I'm here. John 4, verse 42. And I picked up 41. And many, this is again, we're, we're, in, we're talking about the Samaritans now that village they're in, and many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to, the, to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Another title, the Savior of the world. Tremendous. Again, but again, Scripture is... Is consistent. We won't go to Matthew 16. You probably remember. Remember, Jesus to the disciples says, "Fellas, hey, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?" You know, they say, oh, "Well, some say you're John the Baptist because he was killed." You know, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. You know, 
And he goes, well, who do you say that I am? And no, Peter pops up, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, Christ, Messiah, the son of the living God. I mean, and that just nails it. Christ, the son of the living God. The Messiah is, in fact, the son of the living God. Another term, Isaiah 42, the branch. Isaiah 4.2, not 42. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 says, In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. This is speaking to the future. And in light of, again, in light of things in the, new, in the news, um, <clears throat> will be beautiful and glorious, the pride and adornment, the survivors of Israel. Israel will survive. Israel is not going to be destroyed. Okay? They're not. They're not going to be destroyed. And, and uh, they will survive. You've got God's word on it. I'll take that to the bank any day. They're going to. I don't care if that, if that, if that Israel gets nuked and it's wiped out and there's zero people alive. Israel will survive if he has to bring them in from the rest of the world like he's done before because they're all over the world. They will survive as a nation. They will see the fulfillment of the Abrahamic, Davidic, and all the other covenants made to them. Yet that again, you can take that to the bank because God said so. It's going to happen. Don't worry about it. You know, this is all part of his overall plan. We see, I mean, again, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Again, it, it may be worth a, a time here. Just just bring it all out again. Just show how that's going to work and even show how what we see should be ex- expected. The Holocaust in, the, in 1939, 30, 40, 50, 45, that should be expected. It's been going on. It's been going on it's ever, ever since they rejected the Messiah. And it, it was... And it was prophesied that it's going to go on and on and on and on and on until Messiah does come back and puts an end to it. it it's, it's just, this is just part of what was told. It's going to happen. We, we can't stop it. It's going to happen. It's just going to happen. That's like saying, you know, we can preach the gospel, but we can't stop mankind from sinning. They're going to sin. They're going to sin. And they're going to keep sinning until God comes one day and just... Puts an end to it. It's the only way. It's the only way. And so, I mean, just kind of hang on to that. It's good. It's going to work. In the meantime, people are going to die. People are, they're going to die. Ugly things are going to happen because mankind is ugly. It's just that simple. It's, it's, It's ugly. And you have to expect man to do ugly things. This is not anything. There's some, you know, you heard about the babies and all that kind of stuff, and it's, it's awful. It's awful. But men have been that awful for ever since the fall. They've been, they are. This is nothing new. Again, this is nothing new at all. They, they, the, the world, I, 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 I get distressed over the fact that in our country, I mean, it, I mean, people in Washington marching the other day, you know, about the Jews, my goodness, I could have been Berlin, 1939. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just—it's awful. Here, we—we we haven't learned a thing, have we, as a nation? Okay, another one. Off that happy note, Revelation or Revelation. 
you can look up some of these on your own, but the branch is it's called a branch in, in Jeremiah and in Zechariah. The, we've talked about this a little bit, but the root of Jesse, Isaiah 11, the root of Jesse. Speaking of that, where is Jesse? Is she okay? Oh. 11.1. Again, this is, chapter 11 is talking about the, the future, future kingdom, by the way. 11.1. Um, <clears throat> then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. And then you move forward to the end of the, you know, the chapter to verse 10. Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse and will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious you know, when it all comes down it's interesting that the shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse a branch from its roots and he's also he's also the root he's the root he's the branch he's it all he's all it. he's God it sounds like the Alpha and the Omega. Kinda. <laughs> the beginning, the end, the creator of everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it uh, interesting how that works out, isn't it? And then we've already read it in, in Revelation five five, but he's there when we read that one because the you know, he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's the root of David, and he's also the offspring of David. He created David and he was when he when the word became flesh, the word that created David, the word became flesh. He came flesh through the line of David. That's how he's uh, the offspring. <laughs> he's the root and the offspring because he's God the creator who came to this earth and died on the cross. That's why it's doubly dangerous to reject him. You're, think of who you're rejecting. You're rejecting, that when you reject the gospel, someone is rejecting. They're saying, no, I don't care what you say, king of king and lord of lords. I don't care what you say, God who created everything. That's, I praise God for his grace that I'm not in that position. That's all I can say. Another term goes right with it. Son of David. Okay? I don't even think, I'll just leave it that. that. We've got Matthew 9, 6, 12, 23, 15, 22, 20, 30, 21, 9, which is a small sampling of what's in Matthew, let alone the rest of the New Testament. <laughs> okay? Uh, and then the Son of Man. Another that one I want to look at. We've seen that before, but um, well, the Son of Man again. You see all those verses I put in there. They're all in again, all in Matthew, because Matthew majors on the kingdom and Messiah the King, and the Son of Man. Again, when you get Son of Man, you notice in parentheses I've got Daniel seven thirteen and fourteen. Remember where the you have the uh, the picture there in Daniel seven, all the kingdoms. And this is, but there's one kingdom that will not be destroyed, right? And they're talking about, you know, they looked at all these human kingdoms that are going to come and go, but there's one that's going to come and stay. And then you go over, like you have the picture there, the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, which is a cool title for God, Ancient of Days. And then one like a son of man comes and sets up that kingdom that will never end. That's what, when you see that title, son of man, and he uses it for himself a lot. Son of man, think Daniel 7, Daniel 7, the one that's going to come, set up that kingdom that will never end. And that's what the Son of Man title is pointing to. When I'm looking at the clock and I'm looking at the servant from Isaiah, and that 
The songs of the servant. And I'm staring at the notes saying, that's one for another day too. Because I wouldn't be doing this stuff justice. Just all all those Isaiah passages and then compare it with the two that I have in Acts, which come out of Peter's sermons, by the way. Which are, actually one is a sermon and one is a prayer. Which is interesting. And of course we know the Lamb of God. All right. John 120, 129, remember John the Baptist? A couple times, behold, he points out Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then I gave a couple of passages in Revelation, like for example, Revelation 5, 6 through 14, Revelation 7, 9 through 17, which talks, again, uses that term. And you know, it's interesting. You look at, you read through the book of Revelation, and the title Lamb is used more than king or messiah or anything like that. The lamb, the lamb, all over the lamb, the lamb. Very interesting. When it's the final reckoning is starting to be come to fruition, you know, that, and the bulk of that is talking about the tribulation period that rolls into the millennium and then f- which is followed by the new heaven and new earth. The lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. He's referred to more than any other name is in Revelation is the Lamb. I find that extremely interesting. Well, it is when you stop and think, you know, um, if he if he didn't come as a Lamb, we would have no salvation. We would have nothing to rejoice in. So, and I think that's what he's pointing out to all of us, like, hey, the Lamb, the Lamb. You know, it's kind of like a way of saying, remember why you're even here. Why you're even... Y- yes? You mean to say that he'd destroy us rather than being destroyed for our sin? What's that? If he didn't come as a lamb. If he did not come as a lamb, there would be no payment for sin. Therefore, all of humanity would die in their sins, go to hell, and that'd be the end of the game. So he had to... That was it. He came as that sacrifice, that sacrificial lamb who paid the price. That's why... People, when people say they can earn their way into heaven, that's basically blaspheming his work. Saying, oh no, I can, I can earn it. I'm, I'm good enough. Uh, no, actually we're not. <laughs> okay, and he had to come. He had to do that. And then one that's um, another one that we could go around with. I'll, I'll look at some of these. Is the last Adam. But that's, again, that's a lesson all by itself as well. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And again, much, much can be said about this, but 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a living spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. This is talking about humankind here, comparing the first Adam with the last. <clears throat> the first man, that'd be Adam, as like in Genesis 1, right? The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven, Right? As it is earth, 
as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have been, have, have borne the image of the earthly, or earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And he's talking about, again, he's comparing, he's talking to saved people. He's saying, okay, as humans, we bear the likeness in both physicality and spirituality as the first Adam, born in sin. However, once saved, we now do not, we now no longer have that earthy look. We have a more heavenly look because now we are of the last Adam, not the first. We were saved out of that, saved out of that sinful condition. That's why, and again, there's other passages that talk about Adam actually is a type of Christ, an anti-type, but a type nevertheless. And this is carrying out that same idea of, of Christ, of Adam being a type of Christ, and, and Christ then therefore being the last Adam. And what kind of helps explain that a little bit, if you, you look first in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 and 22, say, for since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, right? When Christ became human and he died as the Lamb of God, like we were just talking about. Um, and then verse 22 continues, for as, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all shall be made alive. Okay? And then it goes on to tape beneath its own order and it gets back to where we were. So it's talking about, again, in Adam all die. And if, humanly speaking, if we stay in Adam, we will die. That's the point. But by faith, if we believe in Christ as our Savior and Lord, ah, we then, because we believe in the second Adam, Christ, we shall then not die. We shall have eternal life. See, and that's, that's the whole point of the first Adam and the last Adam. Okay. Jesus being the last Adam. He's the only one that could be the last Adam. Okay. Makes sense? But that's why he's called, that's why one of his terms is the last Adam. Another one is the cornerstone. And that has Old Testament uh, ramifications as well. But uh, Ephesians 2.20, speaking about the church, Again, one of, the, one of the metaphors of the church is a building, okay? Um, having built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the corner. And you have an italics cornerstone, but that's, it's referring to that cornerstone. We've talked about that before, and we know what the cornerstone is, right? In setting up a building back then, that cornerstone was the first thing laid, it had to be perfectly level, had to be perfectly square, because the whole building was pulled off of that. And if you follow that one up, you know, the whole building's going to be cockeyed. It's not going to work right. You know, an old technical term. You know, it's just, it, it just will. It, it won't be right. It won't be, it, needs, it won't be level. It won't be square. It won't, something's going to, it's not going to work. It's, just, it's got to be that way. And then last but certainly not least, another one we could spend a couple of days on 
is Jesus as the high priest. And I'd like to go to Psalm 110 to start with on that and then end up in Hebrews. But um, So I get on these, there's another rabbit trail I bounced around on it. said, you know, I need to come back to this one of these times. This is, again, a, a messianic psalm. And, matter of fact, this, this psalm may be one of those things, just do a lesson on Psalm 110 uh, and, and cover a couple of major points. But um, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1 so you see the context and a passage we've heard before. 110, Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth a strong scepter. Remember the scepter? We saw that in 49, Genesis 49, the scepter, the king's scepter. All right. Uh, the Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in, in, the, in the day of your power, in holy array from the womb of the, of the dawn. Thy youth are to, <clears throat> are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And we saw that. He's not going to change his mind. That's an attribute, one of the attributes of God. Immutability, he's not going to change. You're a high priest. You're a priest forever. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Hmm. Anybody remember Melchizedek? Way back in the time of Abraham, he was, uh, again, Melchizedek, another type of Christ. She types and symbols could be another lesson that will drive you out of your mind if you go too far. But it's uh, Melchizedek. He was a high priest. He was also a king. That's how Jesus is a high priest and a king. Right? So we've got that. And then look at Hebrews. And we're getting a little short here. Hebrews 3. I can hear ramblings in the distance. Yeah. Bar the door, we're gonna <laughs> Hebrews three one. We'll just we'll pick a few of these off real quick and like I say, one day this is definitely worth coming back to. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Wow. The high priest of the apostle. So there's he's given the title apostle. Apostle. We know apostle is ambassador. And high priest of our confession. Move forward to 5.10. 510. 5.10 says being designated by God, speaking of Jesus, as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay. And then 6.20 says where Jesus has entered as a forerunner. For us having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And then 7, verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem, later to be called, that spot later to be called Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Salem, right? See that? Get the connection there? All right. <clears throat> Met Abraham, and it was returned, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of the spoils was first of all by the uh, translation of the, his name, the translation of his name, whose name? Melchizedek's name, which means king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. <coughs> so 
here's where Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Melchizedek was a king of, was a king of righteousness and king of peace. Prince of Peace. That Prince of Peace season is coming up, right? But he's Prince of Peace 365, though, I'll tell you that. And 66 on a leap year. <laughs> Verse 3. Again, speaking of Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest, a priest perpetually. Oh, that one needs to be looked at some more. <laughs> Okay, let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the richness of your word and the blessedness of your salvation. And again, Lord, the blessedness of your Savior. Again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.